Well, I have, I have news. It may be good, it may be bad, depending on you, but this is the second-to-last sermon in our series of Samuel. So, so we'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 22 this morning, and then literally next week will be the, the final two chapters, 23 and 24, and then we'll be done. Um, so that, hopefully it's been beneficial to you. I, I've benefited greatly from this study. So, But this morning, 2 Samuel 22, I mean, let me remind you, so last week I, I made this point, but I just want to make sure that we're, we're on the same page. So section, this last section, chapters 21 through 24, at the end of 2 Samuel, is, is, is kind of an, an add-on at the end, a, a summary section, if you will. And so it's not necessarily in sequence with, with what, with, at least chronologically, but it, it's a summary, kind of a looking back on the life and times of David, and a summary so that we, at the end of 2 Samuel, get the picture of the rule and reign of David. And so in chapter 22, this is a, a hymn, a psalm. Actually, if, if you make a note, Psalm 18 is almost verbatim this psalm here in 2 Samuel 22. And this psalm comes to us as a sort of summary of David's life, a summary of David's relationship with the Lord. And as we read, as I'll read it in a minute, this whole chapter, the theme, the refrain is really clear, and it's simply this, the Lord is a rock who saves and is worthy to be praised. I mean, that's the theme. David in, in this chapter is saying, the Lord is a rock who saves and is worthy to be praised. That's the theme that runs from start to finish. It's a hymn of praise. It's all about the Lord. The Lord is the hero. He alone is the one worthy to be praised. David will make perfectly clear. He alone deserves to be worshiped, which is significant because this refrain of David's life, it's all about the Lord. And it's important Significant that David makes the Lord the object of his praise because of all people, David could have easily made himself out to be the hero. He's the first great king of Israel, and he could have easily, looking back on his life, said, yep, I've done pretty well, haven't I? I've won many military victories. There's songs about me killing thousands, the most of, of anyone. This, this kingdom that I'm the head of, it's, it's been established, and it's overcome every obstacle. We, we've, we've overthrown these two rebellions. I'm the king of Israel, and it'd be easy for David to look back on his life and sing a song of vanity and pride, which probably would have been the song that Saul or Absalom would have sung if, if they would have risen and conquered David. But that's not what we have at the end of 2 Samuel. Instead, this, this psalm from David at the end of his life at the end of the book about his life, we're not allowed to miss the heartbeat of David. Yes, he was flawed. I mean, if you've been with us, the second half of Samuel, it's all about David's sin and its consequences. So it's almost as if here at the end they say, well, let us, let's just remind you what, what the heartbeat of David was. Yes, there are some issues, but that, that wasn't the tenor or the tune of his life. At the end of the day, David's hymn of praise leaves no doubt as to who was the one behind all of David's successes and David's being established as the king. David recognizes that his life, his success, his progress, all of it is dependent on the Lord. And because of that, David, David sings a psalm or a song, a hymn of praise. Well, let's, let's read it together. You can follow along, and I'm going to read. I'm going to read all 51 verses. So follow along um, as, as I read 2 Samuel chapter 22. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song, on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, 
The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked, because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and he scattered them, lightning, and he routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he rescued me from my strong enemy, for those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place, he rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I've kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful, with the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely, and with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge, and he has made my way blameless. He has made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure upon the heights. He trains my hand for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them, I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, and God, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me. 
who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Let's, let's pray as we begin. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for your word. Thank you for this hymn of praise. Lord, would you instruct us? Would you make our hearing and our reading and our studying and our thinking about this chapter, this God-breathed chapter, would you make it beneficial for us this morning? And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, we're not going to go, I mean, we're going to go verse by, by verse, but I'm not going to cover every verse in this entire chapter, but, but I've broken it down, and, and the themes as, as we go through, I think, will be clear. And so the outline is very simple. We have the opening words of praise, which is verses 1 through 4, and then we have the reasons for praise, which is the largest section there in, in verses 5 through 46, and then closing words of praise there at the end. And so let's, let's begin there at the beginning, opening words of praise, verses 1 through 4. So as, as this, this hymn of praise, this chapter begins, these first four verses notice two things. Right off the bat, it becomes evident, yeah, it's, it's about David, but more than that, this is a hymn about the Lord. So in these first verses, David affirms that the Lord is everything to him. It's the Lord who's all that he needs. Notice these, these first verses, the nine different titles, right, in verses 2, 2 and 3, that he gives to the Lord. So he says, the Lord is a rock, a, a fortress, a deliverer, his God, a rock again, shield, horn of salvation, stronghold, refuge, savior. So it's just this whole list of these titles that, that David begins. It's, it's as if he can't contain it. But notice something about all of these nine titles. Notice the, these are descriptors, these are titles, but, but they're, they're just that. So I've just listed them. They're all just hanging there. So, so rock, fortress, deliverer, God, and, and they're all just hanging there until you put the word that David put in front of every single one of them. So do you see what, how, how David introduces all of these titles? He, he doesn't just say the Lord is a rock. The Lord is a fortress, a deliverer, a shield, a horn of salvation, a stronghold. No, that's not what David says. Instead, and this changes everything about David's hymn of praise, David puts the word my in front of these descriptors. David's praise is not grounded solely in who God is or only in who God is, but instead David's praise is grounded in who God is combined with how God has specifically and personally revealed himself to David. It's not just who God is, it's who God is combined with David's personal experience of God. And in true praise, these two can't be separated. To, to worship the God who only saves or loves or meets needs or forgives, that, that's one thing. But isn't it another thing altogether to worship the God who saves me, who loves me, who meets my needs, who forgives me? Do you see the difference? Praise is, is personal. David is praising because it is his rock and his refuge. It's personal. It can't be otherwise. And so if you're here and, and you profess to be a Christian, let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian because you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Are you a Christian because you believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for sins? Are you a Christian because you believe that Jesus rose from the dead three days after he died on the cross for sins? And you may, may think, yeah, well, yeah, that's basic. And I would say the answer to all those questions 
ought to be no. Satan himself would affirm every one of the things I just said. Satan believes that Jesus died on the cross. He believes Jesus died on the cross to pay for sins. He believes that Jesus rose from the dead three days after his death. Being a Christian includes believing these things, yes. Okay, it includes believing these things, yes. But more importantly, being a Christian means believing those things as they relate to you. It's personal. It's not just out there, yeah, he died on the cross for sins. No, it's he died on the cross for my sins. I needed the bloody second person of the Trinity on the cross. You're not a Christian because you believe Jesus died on the cross. You're a Christian because you believe it was for you. You're not a Christian because you believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for sins. You're a Christian because you believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. You see, it, it must be personal. I mean, the gospel is just news until it's met with personal ownership, personal faith. There's this internalization. Yes, I believe it was for me. We're saved when we know our need, when we know our circumstances, our situations. We recognize our inability to save ourselves, and, and we come to an end of ourself, and we recognize our hopelessness apart from God. We own it. And so, so if I'm sharing the gospel with someone, I don't just want them to say, hey, Jesus died on the cross for sins. Isn't that good news? But that's still out. So they, don't, they don't care. But if it's for their sins, after they feel the weight of sin, after they recognize this world is broken and I'm part of the brokenness, but God has intervened to, to fix the world's problem, yes, but my problem, right now we're talking. It's a personal gospel. We cling to Christ as our righteousness. Christ is my righteousness. He's my shepherd. He, he's my doctor because I'm sick, and apart from him being my doctor, I have no remedy. And so I'd simply ask, if you're not a Christian here, do you know this Lord? But more specifically, do you know Him personally? Maybe, maybe you've spent your whole life in church and you've heard all about, yeah, he, Jesus died on the cross and He rose from the dead. But maybe you've never seen yourself in that news. You needed Jesus to suffer and die for your sins. If you don't see satisfaction in the death of Jesus, then your sins are not paid for. He is your only hope. He's my only hope. You need Jesus. Your sins deserve payment. And if it's not found in Jesus, it will be found in yourself. Paying it endlessly forever. It's good news that Jesus died for you. Do you believe it? Would you believe it this morning? Would you put your faith in Christ? Because he died for those who long to, to find their salvation in him, those who love him and put their trust in him. But it's not just personal when it comes to the gospel. Here in David's psalm, these circumstances, it's not just salvation there. There's all kinds of circumstances. But the point remains, the Lord is worshiped and praised as David's rock, as David's shield, because David had experienced the Lord's deliverance over and over and over. We've seen some of them, and there's, there's many that aren't recorded in the same way that, that the cases where the Lord delivered David. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, I would ask from, from this first section, does the praise of the Lord flow from your lips? Is the praise of the Lord your song? What, what, what's the tune that you sing? How, how would your family members answer that? Your coworkers, your children... If they would not answer according to how David is singing, if not, take note because it's, it's because if it is not because the Lord is not worthy of praise. So if our song is not of 
continual, unceasing praise. It's not because the Lord's not worthy of it. It's because we've, we've lost our sense of our personal possession of His precious promises. And so when we're aware of the, the promises that the Lord has made to us and that we are owning these promises, well, we, like David, can't help but live lives and sing songs of praise. And so if you're here, a Christian, let, let us learn from David. I mean, take note of these nine descriptors. Maybe jot them down in every day this week. Pick one. And think about over the past year where the Lord has been that to you and thank Him for it and praise Him for it and tell someone about it. Or think about a time over the past month or the past week or even that day. Pick a descriptor and, and, and think because the Lord is worthy of all your praise all the time. And so let us think about it and remind ourselves of God's kindness to us and let us praise because our Lord is a personal Lord. David begins his hymn of praise with personal reflection. He praises God because of his firsthand experiences. Well, as, as he continues in this praise, he moves from personal praise and he begins discussing specific reasons. So let's look secondly at the specific reasons for praise, these verses 5 through 46. And so as he turns, this is clearly the, the largest section. And so to help us, let me give you an outline within the outline. Okay, so, so we're getting a little confusing, but there's an outline within the outline where he gives these specific reasons for praise. So in verses 5 through 20, he gives praise for deliverance, specifically deliverance from his enemies. That's that first section. Then secondly, he, the, the, probably the most questioned passage, David explains why. What's the basis of God's deliverance? And it's David's own righteousness. So we'll talk about that. But he's given the, the reasons why, the basis why God delivers him. Then the final one, David explains how the Lord delivers him. He says, you empowered me. You, you, you did this. So let's work through those. So, so first, verses 5 through 20, the praise for deliverance. So they're right in verse 5. As, as the hymn begins, it's a desperate situation. So right off the bat, there's these four images that, that all make the same point, four images that express desperation. So these waves of death are encompassing David. These torrents of destruction are assailing him. These cords of Sheol have entangled him. The snares of death confronted him. And so he's in a dire situation. This man, this, this David, we've been with him in some of these situations, but as he's looking back, he's recounting them. And this man, the Lord's anointed one, was not free from danger, was he? It's not as if, oh, the Lord chose him. Now his life is, is worry-free, anxiety-free, problem-free. No, instead, David found himself on the brink of death, not once, but time after time after time. And so he's describing that in, in verse 7, in his distress, I called upon the Lord. And notice, he calls, and from his temple, the Lord hears his voice. I mean, how amazing. David's cry came to the ears of the Lord. A, a reason for praise all by itself, that the Lord has ears that hear David's cry. And that's a whole nother sermon. But don't, don't miss that. David cried in his despair, and the Lord heard him. Reminds us of Hannah's prayer all the way back in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2. She cried out in her desperation. The Lord heard her cry. Well, David's cry in this hymn, it, it, it moves the Lord into action. Look at this cosmic language used to describe what happened. So David calls and the Lord responds. Verse 8, the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked. Or later in verse 16, the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare. Well, well why? Why is this the cosmic response? Well, because the Lord is angry. The Lord is angry that His anointed is being pursued, that His anointed one is on the brink of death. He's, he's angry. 
Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. His anointing was being pursued and David's enemies had set themselves against David and to set oneself against the Lord's anointed is to set oneself against the Lord. And when the Lord's anointed calls on the Lord, he's going to intervene. Therefore, he came down and what did he do? Verse 15, he sent out arrows and he scattered them, lightning, and he routed them. These enemies of David, these opponents, the Lord scatters them and routes them. When his life was being sought out, when, when his enemies were seeking to kill him, and when they were close, David called out and the Lord responded. He heard his cry and he responded. Verse 17, he sent from on high and he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy. For those who hated me, for they, for, they were too mighty for me. They confronted me, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. And so David is singing praise to the Lord because the Lord delivered him time and time again. He's the one who could sing, God is on my side. He praised God for his deliverance. And then it transitions. Notice the transition. If we were to ask the question, well, why? Why does the Lord deliver the anointed one? Well, he's, he's anointed one. He's the chosen one he could answer. But why did David How did David answer that question at the end of verse 20? David said, he rescued me because he delighted in me. He delighted in me. The Lord delighted in David. This is another way of saying he loved David. He had a relationship with David. And the Lord's relationship with David was different than the relationship of the Lord and that of his enemies. The relationship between the Lord and David was covenantal. It was unique, it was special, and that made all the difference in the world for David and his life. This relationship, remember, it started with the Lord choosing David. David wasn't out seeking the Lord. David was watching sheep, and the Lord chose David. And he said, this is the one who's going to rule my people. He's the one, Samuel. Rise, anoint him. He's the one. And he's the one in 2 Samuel 7 that that God makes these these promises that are going to extend forever to David, to this one. It's this covenantal relationship between David and the Lord, and that's the foundation of this relationship, is the covenant. The Lord is committed to him. That's why when David sins, the Lord says, I'm not going to take away the kingdom from you like I did Saul. You deserve it to be taken from you, but I'm not going to do that because I've made a covenant with you. I've made a promise, and, and you're going to have a son on the throne forever. And so that's the context of this relationship between David and the Lord. The initiative is taken by the Lord, and it has an effect on David because David lived in light of that covenant relationship. It's important to recognize that David lived as a covenant keeper. As we turn to these next verses, if we don't recognize the context of the relationship between the Lord and David, we can easily misunderstand what David's about to tell us. Because as we turn to verses 21 through 30, on the, the why of, of David being delivered, look at what David claims in verse, verses 20, 21 through 24. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. Verse 22, I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I didn't turn aside. Verse 24, I was blameless before him. I kept myself from guilt. Now, wait a minute. Is this David? Surely, surely this isn't the same David. Is his last name the same as the other guy that we've been reading about? 
Surely this isn't the one who, who committed adultery with Bathsheba in chapter 11, or the one who had Uriah and her husband murdered to cover up his adultery and her pregnancy. Surely it's, it's not this one, because if this one saying this is that man, he is either delusional, just doesn't, doesn't square with reality, or he's just one of the many hypocrites who don't acknowledge their own issues. There's, there's, it doesn't line up. His story doesn't seem to be true because of what, what we know about David and what he's saying here. Do you see the issues? How can David say these things? Hopefully you feel that tension. Maybe as I was reading, you thought, wait, 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 wait. And this is why it's important to recognize David's relationship with the Lord. So, so what David isn't doing here, right, so, so we have to get past our, our Western linear thinking, David isn't claiming perfection here. That's not what he's claiming in these verses. I mean, we know from Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, and even in the narrative itself, when David's confronted by the prophet Nathan, we know David is aware of his own sin. He repents of it. He, he has whole prayers of repentance. David knew who he was, and, and he was broken over his sin. So he was sensitive to his sin. So he wasn't oblivious to, to his shortcomings, his, his failings. But when he's making these claims... He's speaking these things to the Lord. When he's speaking these things to the Lord, he's not claiming perfection. He's simply claiming covenantal faithfulness. He's claiming that, that Lord, I've lived my life in light of your commands. I've, I've pursued you. I, I've tried to honor you with my life. I've always kept your decrees before me. Notice verse 22. Notice what he didn't do. I did not wickedly depart from his God. That, that's true, isn't it? Did he depart from the Lord completely? I mean, think about his responses when he was confronted with sin. He returned to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. He did not forsake the Lord. He was faithful to this relationship. I mean, think about all the times that David sought the face of the Lord. Let let us seek the face of the Lord. Let let us go to the priest and and let him cast lots. Let's see what the Lord wants us to do. David lived a, a a covenant faithful life. He exemplified trust in the Lord. The covenant relationship was not broken. And so in light of God's specific love for David, David responded in kind. He was a covenant keeper. He wasn't perfect, but he lived his life in light of God's law. And so as a covenant member, a faithful covenant member, the Lord delivered him. Not because the, David earned favor of the Lord. That's what we want to do. We say, oh, this is works righteousness. That's not what, he's not saying I'm, I'm perfect. He's saying I was faithful to the covenant, by and large, not, a, not, not oblivious to his shortcomings. And so he's not saying I earned the favor of the Lord, but the Lord delivered David because the Lord loved David, delighted in him, was in a special relationship with him. I mean, think about the opposite. Could King Saul expect to be delivered by the Lord? I mean, can we imagine these words coming off the lips of King Saul? I mean, no. I'd say no. Why? Because he despised the Lord. And he didn't repent. He wasn't humble. He doubled down when he was confronted. He was an enemy of the Lord. And enemies of the Lord should not, must not expect the Lord to deliver them. So so the opposite, it's not as if David is saying, I'm your enemy, now please deliver me. David was trying to live a life faithful to the Lord. And when it was shown where he was off the path, he returned. 
And so verses 26 through 30, they, they continue to, to summarize almost this relationship between the Lord and, and others, the Lord and people. So David just praised the Lord for delivering him. He's just finished explaining the basis of the Lord's deliverance. And now he lays out this almost math equation, this basic baseline principle that governs the Lord's activity. Notice what he says in verse 26. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. Blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. With the crooked, though, and this is contrast, with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous or twisted or contorted. Verse 28, you save a humble people. But, contrast, your eyes are on the haughty or the proud to bring them down. Do you see the contrast? These are the general principles of, of life on earth, on, on general principles of the relationship between God and people. People who know the Lord, people who belong to the Lord, people who are in relationship with the Lord are marked by certain attributes, certain qualities. The merciful, the blameless, the pure, the humble. It sounds kind of like another sermon preached in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. This is kingdom qualities. God's people are marked by these things, and, and that's because they know the Lord. The point for us to take from this section is that the Lord's people, people who know Him, people who can expect the listening ear of the Lord, who can expect the Lord to intervene and deliver them, are those who are marked by a desire simply to please the Lord, to live faithfully before Him. People who are merciful, blameless, blameless, pure, humble. Again, think about the opposite. Think about the unrighteous. What basis, upon what basis to the unrighteous or the proud or the arrogant or the enemies of God, upon what basis do they expect the Lord to answer them? I mean, let's be honest, they're, they're probably not calling out to the Lord. But if they were, what basis, what hope do they have? They're like Saul or Joab or Absalom or the Philistines. They're not the ones who look to the Lord as a lamp. They're not the ones who look to the Lord for leading and guidance. They're not the ones who can expect God to answer them and to deliver them and to give them strength. This God, His way is perfect and His word proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. And so I'd simply say, if, if you're here again and you're not a Christian, you need to know this. If you think that God is for you, if you assume that God will help you in your time of need, if you think that you can just put the Lord in your back pocket to pull out in your time of desperation, if, that's your, if you're intentionally, actively thinking those things, the truth of these verses is that you have no basis to hate, hope that the Lord will hear and deliver you. I mean, what, what basis are you hoping on if, if you're intentionally saying, well, no, 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 I don't need him. I don't want him. He, he's not for me. But if things get really bad, then, then I'll call on him. Right? What, what basis do you have for hoping that he'll listen to you then? Remember going to high school with people, say, yeah, after, after high school, I'm just going to go. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to live my life the way I want. Then once maybe I get married, settle down, then I'll get back in church. Now, what basis do you have for hoping that you're going to get to that point, but, but then at that point that the Lord would have you? He's a shield. Why, why would the Lord be for you when you're continually against Him? Why would the Lord answer you when you're repeatedly ignoring Him? He's a shield for all who take refuge in Him. He's a rock to those who trust Him, those who have personal interactions with Him. And if that's not you, if you're not taking refuge in Him or trusting Him, you don't have a basis for expecting Him to hear you. You, you should just know that. But... Hopefully you're thinking, well, he's going to say more, right? 
but you're not stuck. You're not beyond hope. You can be transferred from, from enemy to, to friend, from darkness to light. There's, there's hope for those who are humble, who humble themselves and turn to Him. Those who know their need, those, those who know that they need the doctor. There's hope for you. The Lord, Lord helps those, not who help themselves. Right? That's not in the Bible, but the Lord helps those who know they can't help themselves. And that's everyone in this room, whether you acknowledge it or not. You can't help yourself. And so the first step to, to calling on the Lord is recognizing, I need Him. I have no hope apart from Him. And, and that would be my prayer for you this morning, that you would turn to Him because you will not be left, let down. You will not be left hanging. He hears the humble. He saves those who look to Him, the humble people. And then, then Christian, these verses, this section ought to have a sobering effect on our, on our lives. We ought to examine ourselves. Do we aim to keep the ways of the Lord? Do we aim to, to walk according to His statutes? Not perfection, but do we aim to, to pursue righteousness? Not perfection, but do we just aim to live holy lives in this world? I mean, that, that's our call as Christians. Not perfection, but we're, we're, we're to pursue a holiness, a righteousness. Do you recognize, Christian, your need for the Lord in that? Ha, have you, like me often, have you grown callous to your need for the Lord? Have you grown accustomed to your life apart from Him? Those who know the Lord know their need for Him. Those who know the Lord recognize His role in their lives and, and sing accordingly. So, so let's sing of our need because we need Him. And as His people, we are dependent. And so, Christian, I'd simply ask you, what, what is your life song? What tune have you been singing? Because if your tune is not that of praise to the Lord or dependence upon Him, then you're singing the wrong song. Let us learn from David in this. Well, well last section of this second section, and, and we're, we're moving quickly through this, but, but verses 31 through 46, how the Lord delivers. In these verses, we see not only that the Lord delivers His people, but how. And, and we see the Lord delivers by empowering. So David's equipped to defeat his enemies. We're not going to go over all the verses, but notice the theme. The Lord is the one who gave David power and victory. David says, He made my feet like the feet of deer. He trains my hand for war. He gave me the shield of salvation. He gave me wide feet. He made my enemies turn, his, turn their back. He delivered me from strife. He gave me a sta status of international fame. So throughout all of this section, all that's been done, David makes perfectly clear that it's the Lord who has given success. I did these things, but it's he who did this. He who trained, he who did, he. So it's the Lord active. David's doing stuff, but ultimately it's the Lord who's acting in this, this process and all of these cases. The Lord is the one who delivers by empowering his people. And then, then finally we get to verses 47 through 51, the, the third, the closing words of praise. And so as David comes to a conclusion, as he closes this hymn of praise, he concludes with a lot of the same themes that, that have been throughout. Like verse 47, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. Again, the, the Lord is a rock who saves. There's a theme again. Lord has saved him, but notice verses 50 through 51. This is how he ends it. And th this is, this is a, an addition on at the end. It, it's, not, it's not the same themes, or it's the same theme, but it's, it's a twist on it. Because look there, as David looks back, verses 50 through 51, as David looks back over a lifetime of experiences in which the Lord has answered him, 
in his prayers, time and time again, he gives, he gives thanks and he gives praise. That's what he's done. I, I, I'm seen all the times the Lord delivered me. But he also closes, as he closes, he recognize, recognizes that the Lord's protection and deliverance of him will not stop at him. So as he's looking back, he, he's thankful for all the Lord's done for him, but he recognizes that the protection and deliverance that he's experienced, it's not going to stop with him. Notice verse 51. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. And so David, as the recipient of the steadfast love of the Lord, will not be the last of his kind. When David dies, the promises of God concerning him and his offspring, they're going to continue after David. And that's why he says, to, my, to David and his offspring forever. And so as we close, I want, I want to just show you the connection between God's king and God's kingdom. The Lord delivered David and protected David and fought for David, and he did so because the Lord, through this covenant relationship, had tied himself to David. And the Lord had connected his, not only him with David, but his kingdom with David and his line in such a way that, that for David's kingdom to end, or for David's line to be cut off, would be for the Lord's kingdom to end or be cut off. That, that he's connected his kingdom with the king. And David's kingdom, as tied to the kingdom of the Lord, could not end. That could not happen. It is the Lord's kingdom, and it's going to endure. And so at the end of this psalm, David knows that because of the steadfast love of the Lord that will never cease to be shown to the anointed king, whoever it is to come, because the Lord will always have an offspring of David on the throne, David knows not only will the king reign forever, but the kingdom will never end because there will always be a king who is the, the recipient of this steadfast love of the Lord. So there's a connection between God's king and God's kingdom. And as we fast forward, we know this passage is not fulfilled in David, it's not fulfilled in Solomon or any of the other sons of David there in Samuel or the kings, but it's ultimately fulfilled in, in Jesus. Right? Jesus comes as the Messiah, as the son of David, as the true king. And the Lord's sure protection and deliverance of David points to the sure protection and deliverance of Jesus, which points to, and here's what I want you to see, points to a kingdom, to the kingdom that Jesus came to establish, which, because Jesus was the anointed one, the true king that established a kingdom, that kingdom, guess what? It will never end ever. It will never end. The kingdom of God will never be overthrown or shaken, ever, because we have a forever king who is on the throne now, and he's never being voted out. He's never going to be impeached. He will sit on his throne forevermore, and as such, he will have a kingdom to rule over. That, that's the point. And so the precious promises that are given to David are ultimately realized in Jesus, which means that we will be citizens in his kingdom forever. And that, brother and sister, is reason to give thanks and praise. Let's pray as we close.